0: Good evening, Hope. There we go. You're not still asleep from this morning's message, are you? I know I have to come and get your rile back up. He's a real lulling sort of preacher, that um, that uh, that Craig. Uh, if you weren't here this morning, you did miss out on a great time together. Our founding pastor is actually back. In Australia, and he's he's preaching again in two weeks' time in the morning, as well as next week, and we'll have him for a Q&A afterwards as well. But uh, some of you will remember him from a decade ago or so, whenever you left Australia, uh, 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 and and you'll want to go and catch up with him. Uh, but otherwise, uh, you, you if you weren't here this morning, you did miss out. You can of course grab it on YouTube, and uh, 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 you'll you'll want you're here anyway. So we're going to be jumping into the word. So open up to James chapter two. Because we will continue our exposition, but I did just want to give another welcome to anybody that is looking for a church or that is visiting from somewhere else or, or you don't identify as a Christian yet. Uh, that, that's not where you're at. I just want to welcome you. You're, you're here by God's design and his sovereignty and we're glad that you are because uh, we believe that Jesus and Jesus has, whether we believe it or not, it's, it's a fact. Jesus has died and bled and raised for sinners like you so that you can be made one with God. Amen, church? And so whether you're back in a church for, a long, for, for the first time in a long time or whether you're a, you're a church goer, if you know yourself to be outside of Christ, we hope that tonight is that night that you come to know him as your own saviour personally. We are going through the book of James because that's sort of our, our our habit, our our usual way of working here at Hope Church is that we pick up a, a Bible book knowing that God inspired books at a time through his chosen apostles. He wrote them down and then it's our, our duty as we want to understand God, we have to understand his word. He spoke, we study the word and as we do so, uh, we, we understand ourselves and who God is and what he has done for us in the gospel and so we're going through. Line by line, chapter by chapter, about two or three sermons a week through the book of James, and we land at what is no doubt the most controversial part of James. In fact, one of the most uh, uh, controversial, one of the most argumentative sort of spots in the whole New Testament. Especially if you're if you're a proud, loud, and proud, outspoken, reformed person. Any any five solar loving people here? That's I know that, that was better than the high before. That was really bad. We need more than that. Uh, are any five solar loving people here this evening? Yeah. Okay, don't fake it. There's no need. But, but, but nonetheless, that's good. We love this. And yet in this very, very text tonight, we find James saying something that will startle us because he just wasn't careful enough with his language, or at least that's, that's what we'd be tempted to think. Nonetheless we're in James and while I'm going to read in just a moment verse 14 through to verse 26 I want you to look at verse 12 and 13 as we as we started out last week started out chapter 2 with Paul delivering this very hard hitting uh, rebuke to those those Jewish Christians who had begun in their in their communities and in their churches to prefer in their actions and in their behaviors and who they gave time to in their schedules and who they gave attention to on their Sundays, who they gave the nice seats to, they were preferring the rich, preferring those who could give them a one upman in, in society or, or a little bit of a boost of reputation. They were, they were preferring people according to their worth in society. And James has delivered this hard-hitting, law-based exhortation. It's just, it's not anti-gospel to give hard-hitting, law-based exhortations from the text of Scripture. Amen. All right, I, I, was, I was engaged in, you guys don't do this, I do this, I can engage in Facebook arguments. I'm working on it and God's sanctifying me through those arguments, but nonetheless, I, I had sort of posted this sort of helpful tips for men. That's, this is what I put up on, on Facebook, helpful tips for men, and, and somebody commented to say, you know, lists of commands can be legalistic, it's better to just say, love Jesus, and the rest will figure itself out which sounds really pious, right? They're reading a certain blog, coalition website, we know that. That sounds really gospel-centered, except for the fact that God literally over and over again writes lists of commands for us to obey. That, that, that's not anti-biblical whatsoever because the Bible does it. The first one... The Ten Commandments. At least the most obvious of list of commands in there is the Ten Commandments. God put that there. And then Jesus had no problem with, with standing in front of people and saying, blessed are these people, woe to these people. Blessed are these people, therefore do. Blessed are those who hear and obey. And of course, Paul does the same thing. James does the same thing. Peter does the same thing. They will make commands to Christians where they are just giving commands, exhortations to obey the Lord God. The error comes, not when we make commandments, as if you're a bunch of babies that just can't hear a commandment without thinking that you're saved by works. No, you're you're maturing, spirit-filled, word-based Christians. But, But it's good to make those commands because you and I, don't we know that what that person said on Facebook to me is just absolute folly? That's just not what life proves out. That if I just get up every Sunday and say, you know what? Questions about sex and money and life and vaccines and government and jobs and marriage. Guys, just love Jesus. It'll figure itself out. Does that happen? <laughs> no. That's why we've got books like, like 1 Corinthians in the Bible. Is it okay that this guy in our church is sleeping with his stepmother? Guys, just love Jesus. Didn't I tell you that from the beginning? No, that's not what happens. So, so James and we, we just read through the Bible and we get to these parts where there's exhortations from the law. Of course, though, we, and we're going to get into this in a little bit, we have a new relationship with the law as Christians. We're not like we were before Christ, outside of Christ, as those who relate to God through the law for our right standing. Okay, so standing between you and the Lord mediating your relationship or, or bringing you into perfect relationship with God is not your ability to obey the law so that your obedience, your steps of righteousness, your, your ticking off the commands of the law, that's not the road to God. We're not like that anymore. That is the road of condemnation. Instead, we do relate to the law. We are given the law, but it has come down as a, as a guide to our path in life. It's a blessing to us now Precisely because our obedience to the law does not, does not infer, does not give, does not, is not the basis of our relationship with God. And yet, James will tonight address those people who think it's utterly irrelevant. So can you look to chapter thir- uh, chapter 2 and verse 12 where he had given this big command to those people preferring the rich people and he said that's utterly against the law because it's against Jesus Christ. It is against love, therefore it is against the law in every part of it. From the bottom to the top. If you're preferring people for their money, you're not loving, you're not Christ-like and you're not obeying the law, a threefold condemnation. And he says... There's somewhat of a conclusion. Therefore, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. The law of freedom. You've been, that's what we were just saying. Not a law that condemns because you can't make it enough. But as a Christian in Christ, justified by faith, here's the law that frees you up. Here's the fences of your morality that you can live in and be blessed in. It's a law of liberty. A life-giving law. A, a freedom-giving law. But live as if that law that you've, been, you've received in Christ, the Ten Commandments, the commands of the apostles, rightly interpreted, those laws are not just a nice sampling of heaven here on earth. They are also the grounds upon which you'll be judged and given rewards or withheld rewards on your way into heaven. You'll be judged, Christians. Your profession of faith will be judged as to whether it's legitimate or not, according to your life. How did you live? Your rewards going into heaven will be given according to how much of the law you fulfilled. So he says, so act and so speak as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Verse 14. Let's skip to verse 14. Now we're going to see what would it look like if somebody did not do that. So this is a flowing argument from last week. But but, but what if somebody thought, no, I, I hear what James is saying and I disagree. I'm the sort of person, sort of Christian, sort of Jesus follower, and I actually live for Jesus without any, any notion, any thought, any concern for what the law, what God through his Son, through his apostles and prophets, in the word of God command. I don't live according to that. I have faith. I believe, I'm saved. I'm a follower of Jesus, but without works. I do not live as if I'm going to be judged by that law because I don't believe that law is for me. So let's take up in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, note that, says he has faith, but does not have works? Can that faith, that kind of faith, can that faith save him? Verse 15, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Answer, what good is that? Nothing. N- nothing. Diddly squat. Verse 17, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But, but someone will say And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. May God bless the reading of his own inerrant inspired word in our midst this evening. Amen? Amen. Well, what what a fiery passage. We're going to start cracking in straight away into verse 14. Verse 14, we, we've just, uh, he uses this diatribe uh, literary technique, basically, which is, you'll see Paul do it in chapters like Romans 9, Romans 3, Romans 2. Basically, they, they posit a, an invisible person in front of them as they're writing. And they're saying, now, now you might say this, well, you're a foolish person. And they'll argue with somebody, sort of inserting the other arguments, and preempting the arguments and putting it into their text so that they can be more helpful in this teaching, teaching method. And he does this. <laughs> you can imagine that somebody is saying, I will live, back to verse 12, I will live as a Christian without living as one who will be judged under the law of liberty. Now, now James's immediate question is in verse 14, how can a faith like that save somebody? Do you see the disjoint in the logic there? The person who would be making that kind of argument doesn't like what James just said. He says, no, 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 stop talking about my faith. My faith is in perfect working order. I just said I'm not going to live according to the law. I just said obey. I'm a five-solar guy. I just said I'm going to believe. I have faith in Jesus Christ. His finished work for me on the cross, resurrected, all of that. Sign the confession. But then I'm saying my works My works and not my faith. These are James, can't you understand this categorical distinction? I'm saying my works are lacking. And James comes back in verse 14 and says, No, no, that faith, that faith which is which is not separable, not separable from your works. You can't say you have faith, acknowledge you have no works. And think that that is not immediately related. Now, we, we, we distinguish things. Theology, Bible study is the art of making distinctions without separations. I think it was R.C. Sproul. I, 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 somebody will correct me because you guys like doing that. Uh, uh, you'll correct me if I'm wrong. But I think it was R.C. Sproul that said that you can uh, the, the distinction between distinction and separation is just this, that, that if I distinguish between your body and your soul, I've just described the human composition. But if I separate you and your soul, I've just murdered you. You see the, the distinction between distinguishing and separating. Well, here, James understands just like Paul, just like Romans 3, just like John Calvin, Martin Luther, and all our pals from Germany and the continent in the Reformation. Just like them, he knows there is a distinction between faith and works. So that they are not the same thing. You don't define faith by obedience and define obedience by just believing. No, they're distinct, but never separate. So, verse 14, he's saying, if you're not living, at obedience, in conformity to the law of liberty, that faith, can it save you? You see the immediate connection he starts making. Verse 15. Now, now what we usually hear done is verse 15 to, to 17, or 15 and 16, really, this picture of, of not feeding somebody. Usually this is taken up, what I've heard done, this is taken up as like an application. He's made one, one, one sort of argument polemical fr- uh, statement, that faith can't save him, and he goes immediately to application, as if the next point of our sermon is, now how many of you have winked or given a thumbs up or, or said God bless to a poor man on the street but didn't feed him? Oh, well, you have faith without works. It, it feels like that's the flow, but I want to stop and say, well, that's a great application, feed the poor. That's not what James is doing. James is just using this as an illustration of, of another example of words being utterly useless without the, the reality behind them. Okay, so he's just said, you said you have faith, you're not obeying. I'm a doctor, I'm, I'm x-raying this with the word of God and saying, that is a deadly, dying, useless, unsaving faith. And then he says, you know, it's just like this. It's just as useless as this. Imagine it, a poor man now we see examples of this all throughout scripture a poor man maybe he's lame he's blind he's deaf something like that begging on the side of the road and and he's cold it says he's lacking clothes which is pretty basic it, it It means he probably has no clothes. Not that he has his Tuesday and Wednesday clothes, but now it's Thursday, so he's got them in the cupboard. He has no clothes, really. He's just in this under-linen cloth that he might have, and and then he's lacking daily food. So sure, somebody shouted him at McDonald's yesterday. Somebody threw some spare chips on on Sunday, but daily food, he doesn't have it. A very poor person, and you come up to them, whether you're a Christian or not, you just come up and you say the line. You say to them, looking at them in the eyes, may you be well-fed, And how you say, may you be warm, blessings. Now, how different are they going to feel? Did they just feel a warm, tingly feeling inside? Maybe, but that's called rage, and they're about to strike you. Are they now warm, and are they they lying? Now, imagine, no, you're a better theologian than that. You're actually, you're going to start describing. You say, lay down, lay down, close your eyes, put your head on the rock, mind the vomit. Imagine, will you? A five-ply woven Egyptian cotton thread sheet thing from wherever mums buy nice sheets. Uh, uh, and, and a thick weighted blanket. Do you feel the blanket? And, and, and the fibres connect in such a way and they've been, they've been taken from a, from a never-ridden llama in the, in the hills of alpaca country and, and it would be fed on corn every day. So that it's, it's, it's oily, beautiful, shiny thread is like this and you explain it and then you say, and the food. Or oh, you've, you've just been delivered the crunchiest, spiciest, herbiest KFC ever and it's, it's in front of you. Do, you. do you feel it crunching underneath your teeth and, and is it going to the back of your throat and don't you just feel the grease seeping out of you? You describe it all, all you've done is heap empty words. So that the more you describe or the better you explain or the more that you say, still the issue, whether you said two words of bless and be fed and full or be, be clothed and well fed, whatever you say, two words or 200 words, the, the, the problem is still the same. They don't have the reality behind what you're saying. And therefore in this example, your words may be true theoretically, useless Unable to do what you're claiming they do. Now, if you just pull up that day and say, I'm not going to feed the guy, I'm not going to do him any good, but I will describe his problem, then that's fine. But if you're claiming to help the man, and yet all you do is give words, then you are useless. You're not a friendly neighbour. Don't go home now and tell people that you fed and clothed a man on the street. And that's the guy that James is addressing. If you want to say that you're not a believer... If you want to say that you're condemned but you can describe faith, that's okay. Well, it's not okay believe on Christ. You're going to hell, of course. But it's at least not inconsistent. If you want to describe faith but acknowledge that you're going to hell, okay. But if you claim to be justified by this faith, and yet this faith does not result in active repentance of sin in your life. I want you to start just... Thinking of yourself through these descriptions, does it it match you in in any way? Repentance of sin in life. Confession of sin that has been against other people to them with genuine apologies. Forgiveness to those who have burned and spurned you. A a love of the word of God because it, it instructs you how to trust your savior and obey him. A a joy as you join with other people around the Lord's table, around church, or underneath the word of God. A a hunger for scripture and everything it it gives to us as Christians. Is is that at all you? And James is saying, if not, then the words you're saying, even if your, your reformation explaining faith perfectly, underneath is no substance, so your soul before a just and holy God is as helped as this poor man is with hunger, starvation, and the elements. Not helped, not saved, regardless of all of the words. Does that faith, can that faith save him, verse 14 asks, and after the illustration, verse 17 then answers, so also, just like this man continues to be unfed after the, the platitude of words you gave. So also your soul, after all of the descriptions of faith that you gave, is also unhelped because your faith wasn't a saving faith, the kind of faith that produces works. So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Note how he's speaking. He's speaking just because I know we're going to start asking the question, but you're saying true faith, if you don't do enough works, dies. No. True faith cannot but continue working your whole life through and by that act, by that pattern, by that life-given energy of the Spirit, will never die. He's not saying true faith will die if you don't do enough stuff. He's saying true faith will work. Therefore, faith that does not work is from the beginning dead false faith. Look at verse 15. <coughs> <coughs> sorry, uh, sorry. verse 18. He says, but someone will say. Like there's, there's always a theologian in the room. James, James knows. They're jumping in and they assume he's never considered what they're about to say what he says is, well, I actually, I did an online course. I, I studied at Charles Sturt in Melbourne. Like, I know my stuff. And so they say, you have, someone says, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. I will show you my faith by my works. There's, there's simply, you know, James is just, he's one of those angry apostles. We said that. He's the Clint Eastwood, John Wayne of the apostles. He's just getting too narrow-minded. He's saying that there's, there's only one type of Christian, a faith-based Christian who relies on the Lord Jesus Christ and that faith produces works. That's one. And, and the other person is saying, James, come on, man. There's, there's at least two types of Christians. There's that type, yes, who have, who have the, the faith and the obedience and they're great. Maybe that's the first type. And then there's two others. Then there's the guy who doesn't have both. He's, he's just got the faith. He's just a truster, he's a relier, he's a bit of a moper, or maybe he's really chipper. Obedience? No, and that's okay. Uh, it's, you know, you're brunette or you're blonde, you're right-handed, left-handed. This guy's a faith guy. And then this guy over here is a worker. He doesn't have faith, he doesn't trust God, he, he doesn't rely on Jesus to get him to heaven. That's a, that's a leaky boat if ever he saw one. That guy got killed, no, I need power, I need, I need a, a, I'm a self-made man, that's how I'll get to God. I'm a worker, or a faither, or maybe both. James's point here, as he calls this person, this sort of imaginary person in front of him, but he wouldn't be imagining this person if there wasn't plenty of people in the Jewish churches that fit this. He says, you're a fool. You're a fool for thinking that. There's not this third category that gets out of one of the other obligations. He says, now, if you who want to sort of claim that faith, you want to claim that you have faith, we need to start getting to the bottom and say and really look at what the essence of faith is. The essence of faith, and, and this is not wrong, this is in fact how I might preach it and teach it, and yet the essence of faith can sometimes be full stopped too soon. We might say that faith hears and believes the gospel, and that is absolutely true. We could extend it, however, to be more thorough and say that the essence of saving faith, the faith that connects you to the finished work of Jesus, joins you to Him so that God loves you with the love with which He loves His Son, so that God sees you as righteously as His Son, so that you will have the very life that the very Son Himself has. You will be saved, unified to Christ. The faith that that does that. The instrument that joins you to Christ. That faith hears, believes and obeys the word of God. Now, now that, that faith, the saving faith that God gives into your heart so that you can become and live as a Christian, hears, believes, and obeys the word. However, at the very beginning of your Christian life, the first order is this. It hears the gospel, it believes the gospel, and is saved. And obeys the word of God. Not that you will hear, believe, obey, and be saved, but hear, believe, are saved, and then obey. And then every day in your Christian life is the same. You hear the word more than just the gospel, the the laws, the commands, the intricacies of theology we might pull out of this great book. we, We hear, we believe what God has said there, and we obey it, live in light of it. Therefore, if somebody says that they have this saving faith, this hearing and believing, but not the obeying type, the issue is not that they're saved, but they're not like a, they haven't got the next subscription. It's not like they're they're not a Christian plus. They're just a Christian light. They're a Christianette. That's not the issue. The issue is that they're not a Christian at all. Because faith hears, believes and is saved and goes on obeying. Any faith that falls short of that description, it does not claim perfection in any part of that. You don't perfectly hear. You've always got misconceptions in your head. You never perfectly even believe. Even your faith was tainted with, with, with imperfections. That's, the quality of the faith is not what saves the reality of the genuineness of the faith. And then also your obedience. It continues to be. Anything but perfect. Nonetheless, that is what faith ought to be defined as. I'm going to look back into chapter 1. Please turn your page back to chapter 1 of James because in verse 21, 22 and verse 18 of that chapter, just a, just a few verses in that, in that little section, we see this very reality coming out about faith. <clears throat> in verse 21, he will say in chapter 1, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. We said that that's the believing. That's where you hear and you don't you don't reject, you don't get defensive, you don't push away the seed that God is seeking to sow into your heart. But you you remain vulnerable before the word of God. You hear and you believe what God is saying, even to your detriment, it seems, even to your insult. Even as the word of God cuts you down and says you're not as holy as you suppose and you're not as good as you claim, whatever it says, receive what God is saying in his word. Verse 22, it says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. So that he's got these these only two options. You are those who receive with meekness and believe Or you're the type that doesn't do. And this is the whole argument of the person in James chapter 2, the metaphorical invisible man in front of him, arguing with him. No, there's a third way where you can hear and receive and not do and still be saved. And James is saying, no, hear, receive, have your soul saved and then do. That's all the act of the one faith. And therefore, in a more sovereignly styled way, up in verse 18, he says... Of God's own will, he brought us forth, language of new birth, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits to his creatures. On our side, we hear, we receive the implanted word and it bears fruit in the salvation of our souls and then we go about doing what the rest of the word says and from God's point of view, what that is, is him bringing us to life. Bringing us to spiritual life out of his spiritual word and anything God brings to life will bear fruit, will be beautiful like the Garden of Eden he spoke so beautifully long ago. We are the new first fruit. We are in our actions, the new, the new garden of God, giving him glory, the paradise on earth, giving him both, both, both smell and beauty, both usefulness and functionality in this world to the purposes of God. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> look at verse 14 of chapter 2, back to, back to chapter 2. And so now that we've established there's only that what there's only two types of faith the faith that saves and then works, or the faith that is fake, dies, is dead, and kills. There is no second option of the unworking faith. Then in verse 14, we see we'll start, we'll just look at three different elements of what of what he says. He says at the end of verse 14, can that faith save him? The answer is. No. Okay, so it's an unsaving faith. A faith that doesn't work, can that faith save? No. Then in verse 18, he will say, um, sorry, it's not 18. Uh, he says in verse, uh, verse, where are we? I've put down the, the wrong number, and you know how, how easily embarrassed I am, so you're just going to wait while I refine what that one was. <clears throat> Uh, sorry, verse 17. That, that verse 17. Then, so he said it's not saving in verse 14. Verse 17. So also that faith by itself that does not have works is dead. So is that faith that doesn't work, is it alive? Your, your turn to answer. Is it alive? No, it's dead. It doesn't save. It's dead. And then verse 20 shows us that it is useless. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless. So does the faith that, that claims to believe but doesn't work, does it have any use whatsoever? No. No, in fact, he's just in verse uh, 19 there. Look at verse 19. He says there's, there's a type of personal created being out there that has that type of faith. If you want to know what it can do, what it looks like, how living, how active, how useful it is, look at the Demons. Look at the demons whose, whose prince tempted the world, the Adam and Eve into the fall of sin and really are in some way to blame for everything wrong with the world. Those, those demons, those spiritual beings that were not upstanding, which, which lusted after the women of earth and came down and intermingled their genes with them in this, in this, in this horrible spiritual bastardization of the human race which brought about the flood. That, is that good? Is that, that's the kind of faith you want? The kind of beings that that glorified in their own worship, human sacrifice, abortion-styled baby murder, that opposed the work of Christ and screeched at his coming and and were cast out of his presence. Is that the kind of faith you want? Of course not. It's useless. It's unsaving. It's not alive. And the similarities, in case you're a bit defensive, because that's a bit much. Don't don't tell me I'm like a demon. I'm a churchgoer. There's plenty of demons in churches, by the way. Oh, don't tell me I'm, 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 I've got a demon style faith. Uh, I believe lots of stuff the Bible says, James says, so do the demons. They would school you in a theology lesson. They would take any seminaries, assignment or, or test and they would ace every single one of them. Because the issue, going back to our first illustration, is not whether the words are present, but whether the reality behind those words are present. And those demons have plenty of God knowledge. They even one up you in one thing. They at least shudder when they think of God. They at least have the humility, if we want to call it that, to be afraid of the God that they profane. But you claim to be his best friend while your life is worthless and worthless and useless. You see, there's two, well, there's three parties that faith helps. This is why he says that it's useless, Not just it's not saving. There's three parties that true saving faith helps. First of all, of course it's you. When you have true saving faith, you place your, your goods with Christ. You, 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 you connect your life to him. You are put into the saving rock that is Christ to be saved from the gushing waters. You are, you are put into the ark of Christ. You're put up onto the, onto the mountain of Christ so that the enemies cannot get you. You're safe in Jesus Christ. That's, that's faith. Your true faith saves you. James said, false faith doesn't save. But there's two more people faith helps, if we we are okay to use the word helps. The first is God himself. Because God has given glory through the obedience of his children who have faith and then obey. We're we're giving glory to God. And and so we're asking, is your faith in any way glorifying to, subservient to God if it's an unworking faith? No. No. Though somebody wants to say, well, I'm glorifying him by just being so gracious because he's willing to forgive me every day, though I never change. James says no. He doesn't want that glory. He wants the glory of forgiving you and then forgiving you every day, but forgiving you while he works a change in you powerfully. So no, it doesn't bless, it doesn't help God. And the third person your true saving faith is supposed to help is your neighbor and your enemy. But a faith that is not saving, a faith that does not obey, doesn't take any of the commands to love, any of the commands of generosity, any of the commands of evangelism, any of the commands of prayer, doesn't obey any of them. It's not just him he's damning. It's not just God that he's not glorifying. It's every person around him and the people in the church around him that think he's a Christian. It's them that he's also not helping. So in everything that faith that's supposed to do, unsaving faith, this false, non-obedient faith fails that entirely. And so he takes this argument. He goes, okay, you're Bible people. In fact, we remember it's really a Jewish Christian church. Most of the people are ethnically Jews that he seems to be writing to. So look at who he goes to to give the example of faith through obedience. It's Abraham, the very first man who had many children and, well, had a, had a couple of kids, and from them came the great nation of Israel. He goes right back to the father of the nation. So look down into verse twenty-one. <clears throat> he says, "Was not Abraham? Do you? Do, uh, 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 was not Abraham our father, our Jewish father? Right? Was he not justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac onto the altar? You see that faith was. Here are the three key phrases." Active along with his works. Faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled. It says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. He's going back to this, this, this account that you're no doubt familiar with in Genesis 22 when Abraham takes his son by the commandment of God, though he's bereft of heart, he's, he's, he's anxious, he's in great anxiety about, about what he has to do to his son that the promise is supposed to be through. And God tells him, kill the son, that I made all the promises to rely on. And by faith, he proves himself. By faith, he, he'll say here, fulfills the scripture that had been spoken about beforehand. Because seven chapters and many years before Genesis 22 is Genesis 15. And in Genesis 15, God had said, I will give to you a nation through your children, through this this boy that will come who would be Isaac. I will make a nation and bring a Messiah to the world. Abraham believed that so much so that he was willing to go and kill this boy Isaac, as Hebrews 11 tells us, because he knew that if God had promised his promises through him, and I kill him, God has the power to raise him up again. The scripture beforehand had said, by believing God, he was justified. He He was considered righteous. Theologically, we can say the righteousness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ was imputed to him in that moment that he simply believed the promises of God. And yet, that reality of what God had said would be fulfilled, played out, or brought to to a proven state by his obedience later in life when he would offer, offer up his one son to death. So what we can't assume here is that James is saying anything like this. Saving faith, true faith, is really, really good. But you're just also really, really bad. So, here's the equation. You're still pretty bad. You add on to your life uh, some saving faith, and that's really good. It's sort of the floating in the pool, but that's not quite enough to get you through the storm. You need to add to your life works, which is the, the little rowing sticks, the oars, and if you do enough of those, then you'll get to heaven. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying true faith needs to be supplemented by works to be saved. He's saying true faith will produce the works that carry you on to heaven in obedience to God. And there is a very good exegetical reason to throw away the Roman Catholic, anti-right, new perspective on Paul sort of nonsense that looks at texts like this and say, no, your works help justify you before God. The reason is the very very next verse. Can you look look at verse 25? Because James then says... In the same way. Now, he's just got us all in trouble, all well, us reformed guys. He's got us in trouble, us who preach a true, proper gospel of imputation. He got us in trouble when he said, You see, that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And you start worrying. Could he really mean that Paul was wrong? That the scripture is unreliable? That the apostles disagreed because we are not justified by faith alone but works? which seems to be what he says, or are we demanded by the context to understand that he is driving home the point of of, of a clear and justified, or in other words, a proven, a a genuine profession of faith, that is what it means to be justified, like you have a justifiable profession of faith, because you're saying you believe and you're acting like you believe. Are we demanded to take that exposition instead of the understanding that he's disagreeing with Paul? And the answer is yes. Yes. Because let's pretend for a moment that what he's meaning is your life, if it's good enough, will get you saved. Let's just pretend that's it and then let's keep on reading. If you do enough good works, if you're a good enough person, you will justify yourself before God because, verse 25, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? This is starting to be a problem if you look under the text because the story is when, when the, the spies came into Jericho many years ago spies came into Jericho to try and spy out the land send back uh, the message to the, to the rest of the team yes let's go let's take them for the Lord God he's promised it let's knock down the walls etc when they came in they were housed by a Jerichoan, a Canaanite prostitute and, and what she did was she let them in and she said I believe in your God because I'll tell you what, we've heard stories of Yahweh in the desert destroying other Canaanites, destroying other nations, completely routing whole armies by, 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 by odds that look entirely unreasonable. Your God is the true God. And then she shoves him into a corner, throws a blanket over them, and then calls the guard and says, the Jews are here, come and take them away. You would say, what her faith, her belief in Yahweh well, was it useless or was it useful? It was useless. because God's going to come into that town and she'll die along with everyone else. was that say faith? was that faith, here we go. Was that faith saving or unsaving? It was unsaving because she claimed to believe in Yahweh then her works would get her killed. Rather what she did was she hid them, told the gods they went a different direction, and then let them out secretly. Now that works perfectly with our understanding of faith that says if your faith is saving, if you say, I've heard of the Christian God, I've heard of what he did at Calvary, how his son died on the cross for our sins, I believe that, I want to be saved by faith alone, and then you, your life looks different because that faith obeys, it makes perfect sense of what Rahab, of the Rahab situation. But let's pretend, like we said before, that the other is true. What he's saying is if you live good enough, God will save you. If you do enough works, then you'll be justified. And really, this is what I would then say to you. Even even if you're a prostitute, you've got, you got a clinic in a couple of minutes to, to train some new people or you've got, a, you got a, somebody waiting outside for your next job. I know that's, this all sounds very unchurchly to speak, but it's in the text. Imagine someone here, maybe even six or seven of the women and a couple of the guys are just prostitutes. You've got to make a living, right? Right? You don't need to be awkward. It's in the text. Imagine if I then said to you as a pastor you can be right before God and you need to do one thing, just one thing. Do something like, like hide a good person and let them get away from the law. If somebody you had was underage or an illegal immigrant or, or they they've been a murderer and they come to you, we'll service them as a prostitute and then send them on their merry way without telling on them. And that apparently, if this is to be interpreted that way, will make you good enough before God. Do you see how ridiculous that is? <laughs> that if if James is trying to prove that you're got to be good enough just like Rahab, he's condoning a life of prostitution as long as you do one good thing for a couple of guys. We're just demanded into this corner that what he means is this. The faith... That looks to Jesus Christ alone will be a faith having been given by God that will bear fruit for God in obedience. And let no one dare profane God enough to say that you are a friend of God and an enemy of His law. That you're you're saved by God, but you live against His holiness. If that is you, if you have tried to weasel your way out of obedience, out of repentance out of looking like a Christian because you keep on reminding yourself as long as you feel a little trust, you'll be okay. Repent tonight and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because anything you do will ever make God love you. Nothing you do will ever make God justify you, having seen your your slate and, and your record and say, this person deserves heaven. Never because of that. But because God looked on Jesus Christ, his son, with hatred, with fury, and with wrath, because on Jesus was your sin, to Jesus was given your record, so that you could be made righteous by faith alone, a faith that works and obeys. Let's pray over this glorious text that God has given to us. Father God, we thank you for James. We thank you for every one of your prophets and apostles, which, which spoke, of the, spoke by the Spirit, And spoke about Jesus. And Lord, if we pray for one thing tonight, it is that our minds would be undistracted from other things or other people, other motivations, other loves and affections. And you would put before us the crucified, the beaten, the destroyed, the judged, the condemned, the cursed Lord Jesus who went so willingly to the cross so that sinful people like us, so that people who have never been in church before or who have profaned your name with a false profession of faith all of their life, wherever we are at, Lord, as long as we are under the banner of sinner, we can come to that cross and we can see our sin taken away and your wrath satisfied. Father God, I pray that tonight you would give, as we read in chapter 1 verse 17, that your word would bring new life to people. That they would not defend, not reject, but they would would receive with meekness and submission the word of God which is able to save our souls. And to every person who has received the word of the gospel, that if we simply rely on Jesus Christ, we will be saved. Every person who has believed that God, make us zealous for good works because our life on earth is so short. Because you are so worthy of obedience and glorification. And our world is in so much need of service and obedient Christians to carry on the gospel and the Great Commission. Father God, we trust you with this. We are unable, but you are able. We are imperfect, but you are gloriously perfect. And everybody who trusts the Lord Jesus Christ said, Amen. Amen.